You're listening to How To 20-Something, the only podcast that helps both men and women navigate their 20s and learn how to adult across all aspects of their lives. We're going to be focusing on career, relationships, finances, fitness, nutrition, and all of the common challenges and obstacles a typical 20-something will face in this post-college life and what to do about it. I'm your host, Just Diamond, and I'm the CEO and founder of Just Diamond Coaching, where I help young professionals get their shit together, gain their confidence, and own their life. No one prepares you for this adulting world, so allow me to help you feel like you are no longer a chicken running around with its head cut off, and that you actually know what the hell is going on and what your next step to take is. Welcome to How To 20-Something. Before we dive into today's episode, I actually want to come on here and announce my next workshop, which will actually be the very first workshop of 2024, which I find very exciting. But on Wednesday, January 3rd, from 7.30 to 8.30 p.m. Eastern, I will be hosting a free workshop called The Right Way to Resolution. This is for any 20-something who can't wait for dry January or 75 hard to end and wants to learn the right way to set New Year's resolutions so they actually stick around for the entire year and without any sort of deprivation. If you are someone who either doesn't set resolutions because you get overwhelmed or you figure why bother, if you're someone who participates in challenges but then resorts back to your old ways of being, if you are someone who doesn't plan out how you're actually going to achieve the resolutions you're setting, or if you're someone that hasn't even taken into account why you haven't reached your resolutions, then this workshop is for you. I want you to be there. I want to see your faces on the Zoom room or at least your name signed up and you will receive the replay whether you make it live or not. But this is the way to set the tone for the rest of the year. I want to teach you my process to goal setting. That is foolproof. It's what I use to get my clients to get to their goals and I'm teaching it to you for free. So stop hesitating, head to the show notes or go to justdiamondcoaching.com forward slash resolution and get your name signed up for my workshop. But without further ado, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to another episode of How To 20 Something. Today's episode is all about navigating the feeling of being unlovable and the fear of never finding somebody to do life with. Being in your 20s, you're going to look on social media and see someone from high school just got engaged, someone from college just got married, someone else is happily in a long-term secure relationship, and here you are, all alone and single as shit, thinking, will I ever find love? Or if you're currently in a relationship, maybe it's the fear of, if I leave this person, will anyone else ever find me lovable? Maybe it's a belief that... You have no one in your life to fall in love with or you're not deserving of the high standards you set so you end up settling for mediocrity. But as you can see, there's so many stories we create in our minds and they only get heightened as we hear the news of someone else moving along their love journey on the timeline you set for yourself. I know because I get it. This year, two of my long-term best friends got engaged and actually as we are sitting here recording this episode, my sister will be getting engaged in two days. So it's everywhere. It's the epitome of being in your mid to late 20s. And it's also cuffing season. So it's even more extreme as we're in the middle of the dark, cold months. I am happy for my friends and my sister as I get to celebrate the love that they've found and cultivated. But I know I'm not alone in this lingering feeling and thought of when will it be my turn, which is why 
I've brought on an incredible guest to talk about these fears, thoughts, and beliefs and what to do about them. And if you want to be a guest, whether because you have some relatable life experiences or feel as though you can provide expertise in an area of life, then please do not hesitate any longer and head to the show notes where you can find the link to fill out a form. And while you go do that, I'm going to introduce our expert for today's episode. Lucy Price is a relationship coach who guides people to heal from heartbreak so that they can cultivate healthy, fulfilling love. Working with mindset, emotional intelligence, and practical relationship tools, Lucy's clients have been able to shake off relationship anxiety, move past their exes in record time, and create a life they actually want to live in. Hi, Lucy. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad you're here, and I'm so curious as to the insight you're going to provide to both me and my listeners who are feeling all alone in the middle of cuffing season. And basically, there are a vast majority of 20-somethings out there who look around and feel as though every single person is in a relationship but them. And while that might feel true, you and I both know the universe didn't just handpick you to be the one person to long for love but never find it. It's not everyone else gets the love handed to them and you're the only person who is struggling in the romance department. My coach always says, life's hard, but what are you going to do about it? So how can you help someone to change this belief that love is hard to come by? Absolutely. So... Honestly, I don't want to I don't want to fight against your coach cuz like life is hard. Love love you know things can be tricky. But even starting at that mindset of love is difficult, love is hard. Like that's such a heavy mindset to have and that is the the blueprint, the foundation of what you're operating off of. And so if you're starting with the mindset with the belief that love is hard, you're never going to find anyone, it's difficult, then that is what you're going to subconsciously create for yourself because your brain wants to prove you right. Your brain wants whatever you're thinking internally to be proved in your external reality. And so the very first thing I would invite here is how can you start to shake up that belief system even just a little bit, even just 2%? Where can you show yourself either from examples in your own life or your own experience or other people's experiences, where can you find the proof that love gets to be easy, that it gets to be simple, that it gets to be effortless? And it might, you you know, your brain's immediately going to try and convince you otherwise, because it's been in the pattern of believing that love is difficult. But even straight off the bat, where can you just find a little crack in the seams that you can get a toe into and go, hold on, where has it been easy for me? When have relationships just flowed naturally? And just starting to find some of the proof of that in your life, I think is one of the first steps that you can take to breaking out of this idea, this mindset, this belief system that love is hard. And so if you know, hearing that for the first time, and like, if you're hearing this for the first time, and if you're immediately coming up with all of those beliefs of like, this girl doesn't know what I'm talking about. She does not know the guys I'm swiping on on Tinder. She does not know the first date horror stories. She does not understand. I I want to share a little bit of my story, which is like, I very much do. <laughs> Before my current relationship, I I was the person who believed that love was difficult. I grew up in a home where my parents fought all the time. Um, I grew up 
not learning communication skills, not really knowing how to connect with other people and not feeling confident in myself. I really struggled with my appearance, with my identity, with not feeling like I was cool enough or in high school, part of the popular girls or, you know, middle school, people would make fun of me so much for like not shaving my legs, like all of that stuff that happens when you're young. And you can feel that happen too, when you're in your twenties and your thirties, like that was the stuff that I was navigating as well. And I, I really believe that love wasn't made for me. I had a series of situationships, relationships that didn't go anywhere. And the reason I say that starting with that belief of, of love is difficult or it's not for you is the most important thing is because when I was able to address that within myself and I see other people, my clients, when they're able to address that in themselves, that's where everything changes. You have to go back to the root of the belief. I love that because I even today I was kind of it's gloomy today where I live so it just brings in all the deeper feels and I start to get into my own head and it's within the context of my life uh, not so much romantically but within business I'll just all of a sudden be in this place of scarcity and lack and the first thing I do is ask for signs of abundance I'm like where can I start searching for this abundance and It relates to your relationships as well. Like search for where people are finding love because if they can find it, you can too. It's not uh, they took all the love that exists in the world so there's none left for you. It's both. Everyone can have all of the experiences that you are physically seeing in your life. Like not maybe your life personally, but like in your external environment. And I I love that example too of of where can you find the abundance, right? Like where can you find the access points? Because I think that our brains naturally have a negativity bias. Our brains are naturally scanning for threats, naturally scanning for things that could make us question our identity, our safety, our security. And in a way, the idea of finding love and finding connection can actually be more scary to our brains than staying in this cycle of struggle and staying in this cycle of I'm never good enough or never have enough love. And so by starting to train your brain to look for the abundance, to look where there is proof of love, or even just see like, where is someone else's relationship proof that it's possible for you? Like where is someone else's set of circumstances proof that it's possible? And taking that on and allowing that to be evidence. Because what you'll start to see is, when you start to find evidence that it gets to be other than how it is right now, it gets to be easy to find love, or you do get to find love, you'll notice some of the other fears that come up or where that's uncomfortable, where love is actually uncomfortable for you. So it's a really interesting thought experiment. And it's, it again, it's getting a toehold into a new reality for yourself. I had a client recently who was in a new relationship and she had a track record of being with not great guys like we'll say like more toxic end of guys and this guy was great like his resume perfect but there was no connection and she had this fear of but it's a good relationship so maybe I'm just used to the toxicity so I need to stay in it I mean she just ended that relationship so but she did really want to try it out can you talk about because that is part of the discomfort so can you talk about how to navigate the discomfort of is it lack of compatibility is it a red flag is it you or is it the other person how do you know whether this relationship is going to work if it's something that you are not used to 
Absolutely. So what I like to say about relationships is it's an art, not a science, right? So someone could be perfect on paper, but they're not actually perfect for you because the spark isn't there or because there's a lack of connection or different life goals or whatever it happens to be. And so something that I'll talk about if people are coming from a history of either toxic relationships or abuse, mental, emotional, physical, that's background. What I will say to people is sometimes safety and things that are healthy can feel really uncomfortable and it can feel really scary. Example that I like to use is I have hip pain. I have chronic hip pain. And when I went to uh, get advice and uh, consult to help me with this chronic pain that I experienced, someone told me that I was pigeon toed. And that's what's part of leading to, you know, this chronic hip pain. And I'm living in my body, I can't see my feet all the time when I'm walking, I'm not paying attention to that. And as soon as this woman pulled open my hips, I say pulled open my hips, like adjusted my gait, adjusted my stance and asked me to walk. It felt really uncomfortable. It didn't feel right because I was used to walking a different way for 20 plus years. And so for me, I do, I do encourage people to look at, okay, if you're getting into a relationship and it is what you would define on paper to be healthy, to be one of the healthiest relationships or communicating clearly is to take a second and, and ask yourself the question of, is this just unfamiliar because it's new? Am I waiting for something bad to happen? Am I missing excitement or adrenaline in some way? Because what happens in the relationships that are more of a roller coaster is that our hormones also act as a roller coaster. So we have these dopamine rushes, these endorphin rushes, and then we have these crashes as well. And our bodies physically get addicted to that hormonal cycle of peaks and lows, peaks and lows, peaks and lows. We That's what we view to be exciting. And so when you're in a healthy relationship, it can feel stable and that can feel really intimidating because it's just something new. So what I encourage people to do in that situation when they're questioning, okay, is this the wrong relationship for me or is this just new? I ask them, how can you create excitement that isn't coming from a guy not texting you back? How can you create excitement that is not from, are they loving somebody else? Are we fighting about something? This push and pull, break up, make up, that cycle. How can you create excitement that isn't from fear or isn't from loss or isn't from scarcity? So I encourage them to look at how can you create connection and excitement and trust and more joyful things to get that sense of spark that sense of um, new and interesting that you can sometimes get as a byproduct for roller coaster relationships. So that's kind of the first thing. The second thing I'll say is to not discount compatibility. So when you were describing your client, what the first thought that kind of came into my head is that sometimes the relationship can be really good but it's just not the good you want. It's not the good that fits for you. You know, you can have the perfect relationship, but that doesn't actually mean it's perfect for you and what you want and your life. And so part of what I do talk to my clients about is this idea of compatibility. Are you actually compatible? So for me, compatibility comes down to your shared values, your shared goals, your intentions, your direction in life, what you want your lifestyle to be, your communication, how well you are, 
um, physically attracted to each other, emotionally attracted to each other. And then also what is most important for you in a relationship? Because sometimes we have this idea of how relationships are supposed to be and we're comparing it to someone on social media or some random expert that we stumbled across on Instagram or whatever. And I'm not saying that that's not beautiful examples of relationships, but you have to get really clear on what's important to you. One of the best pieces of advice that I got was actually around um, shopping and luxury items. And the piece of advice was, don't spend your money on what other people are saying is luxury. Spend your money on the things that you actually feel luxurious with when you engage with it or buy it. So for me, like, for example, what's important to me in terms of like luxury is like, I love a really nice leather coat. I love, you know, a fancy coffee. I don't really care about getting my nails done. It's the same thing for relationships. Do you really care if your partner is funny? If really your value in a relationship is more having intellectual conversations? Do you really care if your partner wants to be um, like have a certain kind a career or what their job title looks like if they're not treating you the way that you want to be treated when you get at home like just being really clear for yourself of what is actually important to you in a partner and in a relationship because when we're comparing to people we either don't know or people that we do know in our lives but have different values expectations standards lifestyle goals we can get really muddy in what we actually want for ourselves and that can kind of perpetuate the story of like everyone else gets to have love everyone else gets to have what they want without really being even clear for yourself what you actually want in a relationship. Yeah, I mean, I agree with all of that. I, in an earlier episode, I talk about like your values, your qualities, like what are you look, what do you want to prioritize in yourself and what is that, how does that show up with another person? And then with clients, I've done your non-negotiables. I do that with career. I do that with your life in general. Like what are you choosing to do on the weekends? And it goes also with, your non-negotiables when finding someone like do they check off your boxes and I know that sounds so cliche of like they don't you can't like find everyone a person that checks off all of your boxes like well you can the really important boxes we're not saying 25 different things but there's like a top five that are so important to you and who you want to spend your life with that need to be checked off and that person does exist I want to backtrack to you mentioning the spark and A lot of things that come up in the media is this, the butterflies in your stomach and how that's actually red flags. That's your body signal telling you like, stay away, this isn't good. But then there's also butterflies of it's exciting and it's a good exciting. Can you speak to that and how like your beliefs on it or how you've navigated that with clients or with yourself and what that looks like for you? Yeah, so when it comes to the idea of the spark, Okay, I just got to say that media is going to have polarized opinions either way. And so much of life is nuanced. The reason that it's polarized to begin with is just because that's what captures the attention of the viewer when they're watching it. Like it, so I kind of have that opinion first. Like you're going to have experts who say one thing, like the the butterflies in your stomach is the red flags. And that same expert is then going to turn around and say, oh, the butterflies that you're experiencing is excitement and love. Like it's going to, it's just going to happen. And so the very first thing I want to say is just that it is nuanced. But kind of going back of like, how can you tell or how I think you can tell, like, is it the red flag or the butterflies or whatever, is 
how safe and secure do you feel with this person and within yourself? So for example, if you're having the sensation of butterflies and you're having really beautiful conversations with this person, this you're you're liking the communication flow, you trust them, you feel secure in yourself, then that's probably a sign that, okay, things are exciting and you're feeling this way because you're excited and engaging in new relationship energy and you're getting to know someone for the first time. It's like doing a hobby and realizing that you like it and you're good at it and you just get excited and you want to do it again. When I think the butterflies are an indicator that something's wrong is when you're feeling insecure in the relationship, when you are questioning your worth because they're not texting you back, or you are just frustrated because they're not engaging with you, they're not having conversations with you, you're not actually able to talk about your interest and what you value as a person. So it's almost like the quality of all the other experiences as well. Because to sit here and say the butterflies are one way or the other, it could be it could be red flags, it could be love, it could be that you're hungry, it could be that it could be a lot of different sensations. But I do think that you have to look at the other indicators on the table. And also indicators of do you always feel anxious in relationships or are you kind of just feeling anxious with this one person right now? And what in the dynamic of this relationship with this person is leading to anxiety? What thoughts are you thinking? What are the circumstances? But I think the feeling in general is just a feeling until you start looking at the other clues in the picture. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that if you are nervous to text your this person and then send the text and throw your phone across the room, it's probably not good butterflies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like if you are if you are terrified that sharing your thoughts or your feelings or your needs or your desires is going to lead to this person leaving you, there's something more going on there and you have to look at that. Because what that's either telling me is one, you have an internal anxiety. So this is not actually something that's caused by another person, but it's your thoughts, it's your beliefs, it's your blueprint in as a person in regards to relationships, which you need to look at because that's going to keep happening with every person you date. And you're going to think every person is a red flag when really actually it's just you have a thought system that's not serving you or there's something in the dynamic with this person that is causing you to feel really anxious and insecure and that dynamic doesn't actually work for you so like yeah either way it's something to look at but I definitely think that if you're constantly afraid to advocate for what you want in the relationship and you're throwing the phone and you're afraid of this guy being mad at you or this girl being mad at you there's something else going on there And I would even say a large part of this for especially people in their 20s is a company with this feeling of not feeling lovable or not like being able to receive love. And one of the affirmations I say every night to myself is I am loved, loving, and lovable to constantly assert the belief that it's true for me too. I am single. But can you walk me through some more specific ways or like different ways this feeling of not being lovable can appear and what someone can do about it? Absolutely. So the feeling of not being lovable can appear in all aspects of your life. Easy. So it appears when you put an outfit on that you you thought you would look really good in and then you start criticizing yourself whenever you're looking in the mirror. It appears when you see a job pop up on LinkedIn and you come up with 
a thousand different reasons why you're not qualified and you shouldn't even apply for it. It comes up in the small side comments, the jokes you make about yourself. Oh, I'm a hot mess. Oh, you know, I'm, oh, you know me, I'm not really smart. Like I said something stupid or, oh, you know me, I always get myself into these situations. It it comes out in the side comments. It comes out in the jokes you make about yourself that aren't really jokes. One of the things I realized when I started my self-love journey is how much I used to bash myself and call it a joke. <laughs> like if if someone outside of me said half of the things I would say and laugh at about myself, I would not want to know that person because it is frankly mean and to make so many jabs at yourself. And so one of like one of the indicators I tell people to look out for is like, what jokes do you laugh at? Like, what jokes do you make about yourself? What side comments do you make about yourself? What are the passive things that you say without thinking? Because that's a clue into what your subconscious beliefs are about yourself. And if you're constantly joking about how you're a hot mess, or you can't do anything right, or, you know, oh, you know, they get to accept compliments, but I don't like, that's another one, actually, like co- accepting compliments. Like if you can't accept the compliment, there's something going on. <laughs> like if you can just say like, thank you to someone calling you pretty or smart, that's because there's some belief going on that either you're not actually smart, you're not actually beautiful, or you feel like you have to n- like be humble in some way. And so I tell people to look out for the side comments and to look out like the compliments that they can't accept within themselves. But I also think it comes out in your daily actions, like how you treat yourself on a daily basis. So do you treat yourself with care on a daily basis? Do you speak kindly to yourself? Do you advocate for yourself? Or are you holding yourself back? Are you criticizing yourself? Are you dragging yourself down and picking out all the reasons why you're never going to find someone, you're not lovable, you're not good enough, why someone else gets to have something and you don't, for example? Yeah, and this is a such a common theme and I love everything you just spoke to because I could even reflect back into my life of like oh I do brush this off or if someone gives a certain compliment it's almost I don't believe them like they're just saying that they're not telling me the truth because they don't want to hurt my feelings and it's real it's there's a oh they're just being nice oh they're just being polite there's a lot of inner work that has to get done and a lot of times a lot of people say oh you have to work on yourself before you can like love yourself before you can love someone else and then there's the other side of that where people are like no like you you can find love too without loving yourself first and I think there's this give and take that I would Mm -hmm. love your input on (laughs) as soon as you said that I was like oh Jess I have thoughts for you um so I think that uh excuse my French I I had the my thought was oh it's bullshit that you can't find love until you love yourself that's just bullshit like I I have seen so many people utterly devoted and in love loving towards other people and they have an, a, a struggle with how they treat themselves in their life, or they feel um, like they have to sacrifice their needs for other people. Like, but it's still love. Like, they still have love for other people. What I will say though is, the standard in which you love yourself creates the standard of love you accept from other people. And so, so if you are just, you feel like you're in a cycle of dating, like 
F boys, you know, like you feel like you are always getting the people and swiping right on the people going on dates with the people who are not loving you, not respecting your boundaries, not treating you well, not speaking to you kindly, not worshiping your body, whatever it is, like if that that's what you keep experiencing, there is something going on internally. And I'm just so convinced of that. Because we only accept the level of love from others that we are willing to give to ourselves. And when it's also just easier say easier to say no to those people. Like when I, I kind of joke because my story of my relationship now, I was friends with my boyfriend for years before we started dating. It was kind of the this um, right person, wrong time. I had just graduated university. He's been in his career for years. Like we were just in two different life stages and it was not going to work. And I'm so grateful of that too, because it allowed me to go on my own journey of dating people who were not the right fit for me. And I remember sitting down with my now boyfriend at the time when we were just friends and talking to him about it and basically going on this um, long saga of like, all men suck. Why are men so awful? You know, that was my belief at the time. Why is this so hard? And he looked at me and he's like, well, Lucy, you're dating all of these emotionally unavailable people because you're afraid to emotionally commit to anyone. And then you're wondering why it's so bad. And it was like the wake up call I needed to be like, oh, you're right. Like I absolutely am not loving myself, respecting myself, working on my own emotions, working on my own commitment issues. Like I am absolutely doing that. And that's why I'm willing to tolerate this guy who hasn't texted me for a month. And then I'm falling at his feet when he decides to reply to my, Hey, what's up? Like, that is why this is happening. It's not him. I can't blame him. He's clearly showing me who he is and what he's willing to do. It's me. I'm accepting that. I am accepting him stonewalling me for a month and then coming back with barely anything and then giving him all of this love and attention. I'm doing that. And I'm doing that because I have decided that's acceptable and that's what I deserve. And so I do think that you have to look at what your relationship is with yourself and think about what it is that you expect and what it is that you think you deserve. Because while I don't think you have to like love every inch of yourself to find love, I do think that the level of love you give yourself is a reflection of the love you experience in your relationship. If nothing else, because you won't accept less. Yeah. And I, it's not to say that like life isn't just going to go on pause for you. So you can still be on this journey of finding love, this pursuit of love, but it does start with you first and knowing what you're worthy of. It doesn't mean you've accomplished everything. You've done all the self-love possible. It's like, it can be a work in progress as you find someone that is on your same page about everything. And you even said it of it's not on the guy or the other, like the other person in this potential relationship, the situationship, whatever it may be, it's uh, the other person is going to show you exactly who they are. And if you don't know your worth and what you are bringing to the table as well and what you are deserving of receiving, you're not going to have that wherewithal to see that they're already showing you who they are capable of and how they are capable of loving you. One of the things that I talked to um, one of my uh, clients last week actually was, are you loving them for who they are, who you want them to be? 
And I think that's also what comes up when, especially if you're struggling with love right now, are you loving the potential of who they are? Or are you loving who they actually are? Because I do think that people show you who they are if you pay attention, if you look for it, if you're honest with what the relationship dynamics actually are. And so I I think that after a while, it becomes a personal choice if you keep investing in relationships that are not investing in you. And it's a hard truth. Like, I'm not saying it's comfortable. I'm not saying it's easy. When I realized I was doing this, I will be honest and say like so much shame came up. I like beat myself up for a while. But once I got past beating myself up in the shame, I made better choices that was actually in alignment with what I wanted. And at the time, I didn't realize that it wasn't that I was, um, I got a lot clearer on my expectations. I got a clearer on my, my non-negotiables. And I used to think that it was going to be so much harder to find someone because it took out like half of the dating pool. It became so much easier. I think that's where people talk about niching in business, right? Everyone tells you in business, and I like mostly agree with this, uh, that you have to niche. But like the example of niching in business is pretty akin to finding your no- non-negotiables in a relationship. You need and business so people know what you are about and to see if they want to hire you. Like, okay, this is what you do. This is my problem. You offer this solution. Great. This makes sense to me. I will hire you. It's the same thing in relationships. Oh, okay. So this is what you're about. This is your expectations. This is the job description of being your boyfriend. Great. I know what I'm getting myself into. This is a fit. You are for me. It's just, it's actually a whole lot easier. You're not wading through the mud so much. And so I think that when, if you're struggling to find love, if you're struggling with the idea of like, oh, everyone else has someone but me, you can start convincing yourself to date anybody. Don't do that. Because what's going to happen is you're going to get a lot of everybody that isn't actually what you want. And you're going to keep perpetuating the cycle that you're in. Earlier this year, I went through a fuck it, do it for the plot mode. Yes! (laughs) (laughs) So much. Instantly had the most, like, the biggest array of people, like, guys flooding, not flooding, but it was, like, three different guys that the universe was like, you said anyone, so here is anyone, and I was like, I take it back. I actually don't, I don't want just anyone. I want my type. I want who I want. I know what I want, and these guys are not it, and it was just a really funny thing that you brought that up, but I think it also comes to this fear of, more so for the people that are in a relationship right now of never being able to find another person so they're going to stay with this one. And I mean, I've only ever been in one serious relationship. It was for three years. My sister, who's about to get engaged, this is her only serious relationship she's been in. So it's this constant kind of buzz in our head of, do we leave? Well, I know she's happy in her relationship, but I have friends where I see them and I'm like, you should leave. Like, this is not, you deserve better, but they're, they also don't have the confidence or know their worth enough to know that being with this person is actually worse for them than just being by themselves. So what are some mindset shifts or even some more self-love actions someone can take who shares this fear of never being able to find someone to love and be loved back after leaving a relationship? 
First, I want to start with a client story, and then I want to give some more like tangible things. But I had a client who started working with me because she was in a long-term partnership and is at a, a phase in her life where she wants to get married and have kids and settle down. And being in her like mid-30s feels the pressure of the the clock, you know, the the biological clock. And when we first started working together, all of those fears were present. And it was the fear of like, am I going to find anybody? Am I going to have this life? Am I going to have kids? Am I going to create this future for myself? Did I just lose the, you know, the love of my life? All, all of those fears that are so human and real. And throughout our work together, I, I basically... We walked her through her mindset, what her hangups were, what her fears around getting out and dating were. And within, I believe it was four months, she started dating someone new and now they're in a committed partnership with each other. And so the first thing I want to say is it can happen faster than you can imagine. Like finding your person, finding a healthy relationship, finding someone who treats you well, it can happen faster than you could ever believe or conceive for yourself. As soon as you're willing to do the first movement, I have, I have the belief that the universe is going to back you up. And I've seen that in my own life when I quit my corporate job, went and did my yoga teacher training, got all of my, you know, started a new path for myself. It was terrifying to think about quitting my job. It was, you know, benefits, it was money, it was rent. And the idea of leaving all of that was absolutely terrifying. And it was the best decision I made. And so I think that sometimes if you take the leap, the universe will catch you and you have to trust that. But more importantly, trust yourself. And that's where we kind of get more into the nitty gritty. How much do you trust yourself to be okay no matter what? Can you trust yourself to be okay alone? Can you love yourself single? And if not, there are your gaps. What about that? What are you making being single mean? What are you making being alone mean? What are you making love mean? Being in a relationship mean? Are you attaching so much of your worth and identity to this relationship? Or is it that you don't want to be alone? Like really getting underneath it. So some of the practices that I talk to my clients about is just what is the true belief, not the surface level. So I guide my clients through a process called the seven layers of why. Um, it was created, I believe, by Joe Stumpf. But it's basically when you have a thought, when you have a belief, asking yourself why seven times to get to like the root of what your actual subconscious belief is. So if you have a fear of being single or fear of leaving your relationship, I would encourage you to go through that practice and get really clear on yourself. What is the actual fear? What are you actually afraid of? Because that's going to show you what to work on and what you need to shift your mindset around it. I also will say that this is the studies aspect of things, but studies have shown that people who stay in relationships that are unhappy rather than be single are just less happy overall, less fulfilled, um, worse job opportunities, you know, shorter life expectancy, like all this stuff, because being in a relationship that you're not actually happy in causes a lot of stress. It causes a lot of anxiety. It causes um, you to create a life for yourself that you don't actually want. And so when you're staying with someone because you're afraid of being alone, you have to recognize the actual scope of what that trade-off is. Okay, so you're not alone. 
But are you living in a place that you don't want to live, working a job you don't want to work with a person who you don't even like to come home to? Are you fighting every night? Like, what is the trade off of that decision, really? Because you might think that the trade off is, well, I'm just not alone or I'm in a relationship, but the trade off is so much more than you realize. And that can be really scary to see. But I also think that sometimes the kick people need to recognize this relationship isn't for me. Like, I don't actually want to live this life that I'm living with this person. And again, it can be scary. But what are you making that choice mean? That's one of my favorite sayings is just like, what is the story you're telling yourself? What are you making this mean? Why are you making it mean that you want to leave this relationship or even stay in it? So getting really clear for yourself what the actual fears are, what the actual beliefs are, I think is important. But then also recognizing what are you trading out? What are you giving up to maintain this relationship, to maintain this lifestyle? Yeah. And I even say, I mean, this is in studies, this is how women work is we're very much in our heads. So if you're like a very good telltale sign is if you look at your relationship and you think, wow, my sex drive is almost non-existent there is a bigger issue at hand. It's not you. It's not your libido. It's your relationship. And speaking to that and understanding that that is a big issue and it has nothing to do with you personally. There's nothing wrong with you. I dealt with that. I thought there was something wrong with me, but it wasn't me. It was the relationship I was in. And it's a a more of an objective stance to is it time to leave this relationship? Is this relationship no longer serving me in the way that it once was? And is are we at the point of no return? Mm-hmm. And also, if if you were even slightly in the place of questioning your relationship, I well, I have two thoughts now. First, relationship anxiety is a thing. So again, if you experience relationship anxiety, if you constantly feel anxious, um, and you've had, and that's a trend in your relationships, I would address that first, because sometimes you can be afraid that you're with the wrong person, but it's anxiety and not actually the truth of how you feel. But if it's not relationship anxiety, then I want what I would encourage you to do is plan out leaving. It's scary. Like that makes it real for a lot of people. But like, what steps would you actually have to take to leave the relationship? Like do the work to really figure out, okay, would I need a new apartment? Where would you live? What apartment would you live? Where in the city? What furniture comes with you? What do you need to split up? Like go through that motion because half the time it's, it's not only leaving the relationship, it is changing your life. It is changing your living situation. It is changing how you function on a day-to-day basis. So go through the process of leaving your relationship before you leave your relationship and figure out like, okay, is it actually the relationship or do I not want to do the work to look for a new apartment? Do I not want to do the work of splitting up, you know, the other aspects of my life? Because sometimes it's not even that just the relationship, it's everything else that can go into it. So if you just do the work before you end the relationship, if nothing else, you can create a little bit more clarity for yourself of what it actually is. And you might even see that it's not the relationship at all. So like it's, it's information. Information is powerful. 
Yeah, and it's a lot more difficult when you're living with someone and you are sharing that apartment. I know people that have broken up and stayed living together until their lease was up. It's like, find some solution that you do not (laughs) put yourself in that situation because it's not healthy for you. I was very fortunate that I was in a long-distance relationship when I ended it, and one thing that happened, I would go on these walks and I called them unplugged walks. I still do them every now and then. And I lived, I used to live on this beautiful lake. So I, would just, I was, went on an unplugged walk and just thought about my relationship. And about three fourths of the way around that lake, I said out loud, I'm done with this relationship. Like it's over. And I felt this rush of relief flow through my body. And I was like, holy crap. Like now I need to go tell him because I've, I understand that this is exactly what I needed. I've the feeling that of that release was so powerful and we figured out a time to FaceTime and I ended it and haven't looked back since. But it was a lot easier. We had two very different lives being long distance that it nothing really changed for me aside from gaining a better peace of mind. But I do know the yeah. people that are living together that are in the middle of a lease or that have bought a house together, they're a bit more quote-unquote stuck in their situation so it's that much scarier to take that leap to step outside of it but think long term like long term you're going to be so much better off than where you're at right now absolutely and one of the things just jumping off of you of, of sharing a lease together or buying a house together something that my mother taught me that I hold true to this day is always have an emergency fund for yourself outside of your relationship. And this is one of those pieces of advice that everyone, you know, your everyone's uh, financial situation is personal to themselves. I know so much depends on where you're living and everything like that. But as much as possible, have an emergency fund that money is not the reason you stay in the relationship. Money is not the reason why you stay, you know, living with somebody. Because one of the top reasons uh, women stay in abusive relationships is due to financial dependency on their partner. I once knew somebody who is who was in a relationship with someone and financially dependent on them and had the idea of oh well my partner I have already talked about like if we ever just were to split up they would continue financially supporting me in the future and we have these beliefs about what's going to happen before a relationship ends and what actually happens is sometimes very different than what we thought and so once the relationship is over they're unless there's a divorce, unless there's a separation, unless there's an agreement of money, they don't have to support you that way. So always having a way out, always having a net to fall on for yourself. I, you know, I joke with my partner and he knows this. (laughs) I've said this to him enough times, but it's like, I have a bank account with an amount of money on it that he'll never know because if I need to leave the relationship or the relationship isn't working for us, I want to know that I can do that. And, and that's what I do. And so that's why I encourage everyone to do is just, you know, have, have some money off to the side that you, you have the liberty to make choices because of it. I think it's even a play on that is have not a life off to the side. I think that's the wrong word for it, but have your friend group, your finances, have your life that will be okay. That will catch, you said net, that will catch you if if slash when you fall so you don't feel as 
codependent on this partner that's probably not the best partner for you. So it's important to have different friend groups for that reason alone. But I would also say within your friend groups, whether it is the shared friend group or separate ones, it's important to have different types of friends because what you see is what's going to reinforce or create these beliefs that you have about relationships, whether they're healthy, whether they're unhealthy, whether they're hard to come by or easy to come by. Can you speak on how important it is to have friends who are both single and in relationships? I have like a few different perspectives on this. So most of what I think is that what's more important to me is the values of these people rather than their relationship status. So for example, what are their values in relationships? And does that align with where you want to be and where you want to go in your relationship? So being aligned on values, being aligned on what healthy relationships look like, I think that's very important because I had this horror story of going to a wedding. Um, I, I was in, in the, uh, I was going to a wedding and I noticed that the women were being treated really poorly by the men. And this was one of those those moments where I realized not everybody thinks and believes and acts the way that I'm used to. And that actually, you know, I've consciously, consciously chosen relationships where I'm respected and I'm valued and I'm treated well as a woman. And being in that situation, being so disrespected by men made me realize oh, this is their standard. Like this is what they deem to be acceptable. And so I think like the most important thing is to surround yourself with people who are either in relationships or are single who have the same values as you and are being treated the way that you want to be treated or are treating others the way that you would want to be treated. So that's kind of first. Then I kind of go into like, I actually, to some degree, I do think it's important to um, have friendships with people who are in relationships because it gives you a different example of how relationships can operate but also the flip side too of being single like seeing having friends who are single it gives you the opportunity to see what their life as a single person can look like so I think that it's valuable in the aspect of you get to see other people's lives you get to see how other people operate within the relationship dynamic and also the single dynamic with life so I think it's important in that way but for me personally I think the more important thing is to surround yourself with people who are either where you want to be, who are aligned with you, or who are a good example of what it is that you want. Yeah, I I love that. I agree with that entirely of having those – you need different types of people because you're only – if you don't have that close group where you can ask those personal questions of like – or they don't come to you with a problem in their life, you don't have those types of relationships – you're only basing your knowledge off of what you see online and that is a very distorted image of what's actually going on behind the scenes. Absolutely. And I think that's where, uh, I love what you said about having those people you can have these conversations with because that gives you insight into what is actually happening and it also gives you insight to where you think something might be normal but it's not. So for example, um, I once had a girlfriend say to me over coffee like a couple of years ago, like, oh, don't you hate that your boyfriend never does the dishes. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I never do the dishes. Like what? That's your belief about men. (laughs) Like that's your belief about boyfriends is that they don't do housework. Okay, let's have a conversation because my boyfriend definitely does. (laughs) So I I think that's the perk of, of having those relationships too, is you get to like, 
trade notes of like, okay, so what's going on for you? Okay, well, here's going on for me. Like, can we cross check and make sure (laughs) that this is like something we feel good about and something that we want to have going on? Mm, Are there any common struggles that you see amongst your clients or maybe something that you a pattern you've broken within yourself that are people trying to get back into the dating world and find their forever person? Yeah, absolutely. So mm, I would say communication styles tend to be the big one. So the anxious attachment and the avoidant attachment, those are two common threats that I see as as being struggles for people of either one party wanting to continuously or constantly talk of something out or needs constant reassurance and the other partner maybe like stonewalling or avoiding conversations or avoiding conflict doesn't like getting into conflict tries to like push emotions down so i would say how people communicate how people engage with each other is often a common struggle but what i see in terms of getting back out into the dating pool is people have a lot of, uh, I call it mind drama around dating. And I think it's because getting out and going somewhere, getting dressed, you know, going to a restaurant or going to putt putt or wherever it is you're meeting this person and talking to someone new was intimidating. And you have to find the fun in it. You have to find the enjoyment around the dating process. Because I think part of what's intimidating for people and getting back out into the dating pool is just this overwhelming like concept of, oh, now I have to put myself out there and I have to talk to people and I have to do my hair and I have to leave my house. And we come up with all of these obstacles between us and dating. And so removing those obstacles as much as possible, making it more fun for yourself. How can you make dating fun? How can you make meeting and engaging with people fun? Or how can you make it more efficient? Like if if fun isn't the thing for you, how can you make it more efficient? So for me, when I was dating more actively, I would have this internal, uh, I say internal, I would have this low key rule for myself of and I told the other person this like, hey, let's meet up for coffee. Let's sit down for an hour. If after an hour, we're not feeling it for whatever reason, let's call it like, no ego bruise, no harm, no foul. Let's just call it. Because I think that also what intimidates people in getting back out into dating is like, oh, I have to spend three hours with this person that I might not want to spend time with after 20 minutes, you know? So just like, how can you make it easier for yourself? How can you remove some of the obstacles for yourself? Yeah, have that friend to call you with an emergency. We've all been there. (laughs) Make some excuses to why you have to leave. Yeah, exactly. And and so I think just where are you making it more complicated than it needs to be? And I think, yeah, the big thing that I see for people getting back out into the dating world is just feeling the intimidation of dating again. And that's that's something that I think we have way more control over than we realize. Mm, I like that. I I, pre- I preach control. Where do yeah. you have control yeah. and take control? I mean, it's why my program that I take my clients through is called Own Your Life. It's because you are in charge of your life experiences. You just have to find where you're in control and act accordingly. Yeah, and... This might sound like a little bit of a twisted um, thing when you're looking for love, but like, where are you choosing to be single? Like, where's that choice? Where's that choice coming from? Like, where are you shutting down connections with other people? Where are you shutting down the potential of connections? Because 
I can't tell you how many people I've talked to, not not clients, but just like casually over dinner or coffee or something like that, where someone will find out I'm a relationship coach and they'll go like, oh yeah, I'm single, you know, I've been single forever. And I'm like, well, what are you doing to to get into a relationship? Oh, and you know, like I'll go on dates, I'll swipe on the, the dating apps, whatever. But like the reality is, okay, so you're staying home, you go to work, you stay home, you watch Netflix, you wake up, you do it all over again, you meet the same people at the same places day after day to day. And you're wondering why you're not finding anybody new, <laughs> you know, so like, where are you contributing to being single? Where are you closing off connection? Where are you actually not available for a relationship, even though you think you want one? So just like finding the reasons like, okay, where are you still choosing to be single? Yeah, you mean my dream man isn't just gonna plop onto my couch out of nowhere? Right? That doesn't happen? No, I mean, like, the universe sometimes does the cat distribution system for boyfriends, but like, it's rarer than cats. <laughs> And I've been waiting for a cat distribution and it's, it has not happened. So like, I I think that's the thing. It's like, we all, of course, we all want it to be the fairy tale, you know, oh, someone drops a handkerchief and the most romantic, handsome guy picks it up for you who also happens to own his own tree company, you know, like, of course we all want that. But I don't want to put a damper of like the reality is, but like the reality is that there are so many people who would be a fantastic fit for you if you just opened up and had a conversation with them. How often are you in a coffee shop looking at your phone instead of making eye contact? How often are you having even small engagements with other people? People forget that we used to find relationships in the wild and not on dating apps. Like, I prefer we used to- <laughs> the wild. That's yeah. like my, I don't like dating apps. I prefer the, I call it the old fashioned way of just being yes. out in public, but it does, does take longer. I don't go on as many dates, but I'm also going to places that I want to be at. And it's not, I'm not, I know I'm not going to find the man of my dreams at a bar because I don't want to be at a bar. I'm going to find them at the gym. That's where I yes. like to be. <laughs> And just recognizing that too, you know, of like, where, where are you naturally going? Where are you, what are you already doing that you just have to make minor tweaks and open up and talk to people? I think that's the secret sauce to finding someone really like out the old fashioned way in the wild. It's just, what are you already doing? Where do you already like to be? What are you already interested in? And then how can you open up and have conversations? Because even if the person you talk to at the coffee shop isn't the right fit for you, they might have a brother, they might have a friend, they might have a nephew. You never know. Yeah. Is there any, we're just going to wrap it up from here as we're approaching, I don't like to go past an hour for anyone listening, but (laughs) is there anything else that you want to say? I mean, this whole episode has been a lot of eye-opening just for me personally that I know people listening are going to be like, oh my God, themselves. But is there anything else that you want to say to someone in their 20s and who feels like everyone's in love but them? If you're feeling like everyone is in love but you, the first thing I would encourage is to pour more love into yourself first. Like really develop a loving, secure relationship with yourself. Fall in love with your mind. Fall in love with your personality. Fall in love with your body. Go through that process of falling in love with, for, with yourself because that is setting the standard. After that, how can you open yourself up more to love? Where can you find the evidence, find the proof that love is available to you? Where can you open up to more connections, more relationships, even just more engagements with other people? 
and really capitalize on those things. But if you pour love into yourself, if you are open to forming connection, and if you allow yourself to be brave, to be vulnerable, and to put yourself out there, it will happen for you. You will find love. It's that old saying of like, uh, seek and you will find. Like, if you look for love, you will find it. Wow. Well, thank you, Lucy, so much for coming on How To 20-something. Like I said, I know I benefited from this conversation alone, (laughs) and I know it'll definitely help some people listening, or they should listen, so hopefully they're listening. But yes, thank you again for coming on here. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. I really loved our chat, so thank you so much for having me. Yeah, and if you guys listening have any questions for Lucy or need relationship coaching, you will be able to find her information in the show notes. Otherwise, this concludes another episode of How To 20-something. If you liked what you heard, please share it with a friend or on social media. Send it to a friend that needs to hear it. And tag me at coach.justdiamond when you share it places. And I will be in your headphones again next week with another brand new episode.